All right, so we're on our second episode of our series called Money, Is It Good or Evil? And we learned very clearly last Sunday that it is neither one. It is neutral. It depends on our view and our use of it. It depends on our perspective and our practice in how we use money. And of course, the Bible is the best place to gain the right perspective and to gain the right practice as far as money is concerned. What is the best use of money? There are many good uses of money, and I trust that between now and the end of this series, we will be hearing more of what the Bible says about good uses of money. But I'd like to bring us to what I believe, according to the Bible, is the best use of money. I'm not saying that all of our money should be used in this way, but, you know, my discipler taught me 30-plus years ago that the good can be the enemy of the best. And so I'd like to bring to all of us this morning what I believe according to the Bible, and I'm not alone in believing this, it's really the best use of money. But before we go there, I'd like to show you a few uh, quotations which I'm pretty sure we've all heard before, but I'm not exactly sure we know to whom they are attributed. In other words, who most likely said these quotations. For example, are you familiar with when the going gets tough, the tough get going? You've heard that before, right? Apparently, it is attributed to Joseph P. Kennedy, the father of JFK. I didn't know that. Now, have you heard of the saying, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it? You and I have heard that many, many times, and it is most often attributed to Chuck Swindoll, or some will say, no, somebody said that much earlier than he did, Lou Holtz, who is a, an American athletics coach. Now, what about this? To make, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. I'm sure you've heard that saying before. But I wondered, who said it? Well, it's normally attributed to Winston Churchill. Now, I didn't know that. Now, whether that's absolutely correct or not, uh, it really doesn't matter much to me. But this last quotation is very, very important based on our topic for today. Okay? And this one I know we've heard many times. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Can you tell me who said that? Who said that? It is more blessed to give than to receive? How many of you say the Apostle Paul said that? How many of you say Jesus said that? How many of you are not sure who said it? Well, it is, you see, you don't read this in the Gospels, but it's actually Jesus who said it. And it was, but he was quoted by Paul. And we read that in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, where he says, in everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So the next time somebody asks you, who said that? It's more blessed to give than to receive. You now know for sure it was Jesus. And so our topic today is about giving, the best 
use of money. The world will probably not teach us this. The world will probably have vehement objections to this principle. But if we look at the Word of God, remember, who is our master, what is our perspective, I would like to believe through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will come to this conclusion. That in, indeed there are many good uses of money, but the best use of it is giving. Okay, why is giving the best use of money according to the Bible? Giving is the best use of money, I believe, for at least three reasons. First, giving honors God. God first, it's a form of worship. Second, giving blesses others. And third, giving reaps rewards. Now, I was told that sometimes having hand gestures helps us remember the main points about our message. Is that true? By the way, the closest thing that you'll come to a sports camp this morning is learning another set of hands, hand gestures. Is that okay with you? So will you join me so that we remember what God has in store for us this morning by way of his word? So, giving. Let's stretch out our hands forward. By the way, don't do this. This is taking. So giving, okay? Giving is the best use of money because it honors God. Giving honors God. Giving blesses others. And giving reaps rewards. God makes no apology for the fact that he is a rewarder. So once again, ladies and gentlemen, giving honors God, blesses others, reaps rewards. Okay, so I guarantee you, you do that a hundred times, you'll not only lose a little weight, but you will remember what we talked about today. So, why should we honor God in terms of giving? Well, you know, there are many ways to honor God. That is true. The worship, the time that we had this morning, is an excellent way of honoring God. But why should we honor God in the context of money? Well, because for the simple reason that He owns everything. In Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, shall we read this all together? The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. In other words, this entire uh, biosphere that we call the earth, this is owned by God. Everything that you and I need to live is owned by Him, but by His grace and love makes it available to you and to me. Okay, so let, let's, let's not talk about money right away. Let's talk about two things that you and I absolutely need to survive, to live from day to day, apart from money. May I suggest to you two things. One is air and the other is water. Would you agree? I don't think we will live very long without either one. So let's talk about air. Air is 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, and 1% a bunch of other stuff. Now, there's a portion of the atmosphere called the troposphere, which is that part that is closest to the surface of the earth. That is where you and I get our air to breathe. Now, it has been measured that the mass of the troposphere 
is four quadrillion tons. Man, that is a lot of air. God owns it all. And yet, he allows us to avail of it because he knows we need it. He owns it. We benefit from it. <clears throat> so air is one thing. What about water? 71% of the surface of the earth is water. And oceans and rivers are not the only sources of water on this earth. There are other subterranean sources and so forth. Now, how much water has God provided for you and me? The estimate is 326 quintillion gallons of water. How big a number is that? Well, the scientific answer is it's very big. No, technically, 36 quintillion is the number, 300, sorry, 326 quintillion is 326 with 18 zeros after it. God owns all of that. And yet, we avail of it, we benefit from it because he loves us. We need to be good stewards of what he owns. Now, what about money? Is money going to come out of the air? Well, you know, sometimes we receive a blessing almost literally out of the blue. Isn't that true? But normally, normally, it would be this. This should be our perspective as far as honoring God with money is concerned. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, But you shall remember the Lord your God. Now, when we are commanded to remember, it's because we easily forget. It's as simple as that. God's commands are there because our tendency is to do the opposite. So it says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. In other words, he entrusts you and me with the ability to make money, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So by extension, our ability to, to produce wealth to earn money comes from God. By extension, he owns it all. Even the money we say that we make belongs to God. Everything is his, the earth and all who dwell in it. And therefore, he deserves to be honored. Are we clear so far? Okay, so, so much of it has to do with our perspective. So much of this issue has to do with our heart. So how do we honor God by giving. By the way, we're using the word giving in a very broad sense, and we will sort of define it a little bit more precisely as we go along. Proverbs 3, 9, 10 says this, honor the Lord from your wealth. Now, like we said earlier, there are many ways of honoring the Lord. But very specifically in the Bible, we see this passage, which is supported by many others. And it says, honor the Lord specifically from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Now, you must understand, especially during the Old Testament days and even, even during Jesus' time, he was addressing, uh, the Bible is addressing an agricultural society. So when he says the first of all your produce, first simply means the best, not the leftovers. And the word honor here means it has to do with weight. It has to do with attributing or ascribing to a person, in this case, God himself, what is due him. So in other words, just like we, we did at the end of our worship time, we give our best 
to the Lord, our best praise, our best um, uh, just appreciation of who He is. But here we're being told, honor the Lord from your wealth. And you know, immediately following, amazingly, and we'll see this pattern in other passages we'll, we'll read, immediately you see an assurance from God. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, this is not to say that all of God's people will become, do you know the term gazillionaire? It doesn't mean that all of God's people will become gazillionaires. Now, some of you might. So please, remember us when you are in paradise. But what it tells us for sure is two things. One, we cannot outgive God. Amen? We cannot, parang mahina yung amen. We cannot outgive God. Second, God will take care of us. And that's what it really means. We can never outgive God, and God will take care of us. All right. So it says, honor God. Giving honors God. There was a time when God's people were clearly dishonoring Him. They were dishonoring Him in many ways. They were dishonoring Him because they were bringing lousy, substandard animal sacrifices to Him. They were dishonoring Him because they were being unfaithful to their wives. You see, there, there are many ways of dishonoring God. But in the same way that there's a way of honoring God with our wealth, there's also a way of dishonoring Him. And so let's see what happened during the time of the prophet Malachi. Here in Malachi chapter 3, God is bringing an accusa- actually several accusations against his people. And he said, will a man rob God? The word rob here is to defraud. Now, it's almost a rhetorical question because the obvious answer should be, no way. I wouldn't even think of robbing God. I mean, it, it never even entered my conscious mind. That would normally be people's answers. But before anybody could even think that thought, God already said, yet you are robbing me. But you say, meaning the people, he took the words out of their mouth, how have we robbed you? And God was very specific. He said, in tithes and offerings. Okay, so this is where we begin to refine our definitions a little bit more. What is a tithe? A tithe is a tenth, one over ten. In their case, a tenth of their produce, agriculturally. It could also have meant a tenth of their money because money was already in circulation. Obviously, in today's context, it's one-tenth of our income from employment, from business, for whatever it is. So, so tithe is one-tenth. And offerings, offerings are voluntary gifts that are given for a specific purpose. In today's context, that would be what we call designated giving. Okay, so there in in that verse that we read, there is a tithe. And that tithe, as you will see later, that is really for God, automatic. Offering is something else. It is designated giving, like giving to the victims of a typhoon or giving to a missionary. Now, in CCF today, I just want you to know that as far as your servant leaders are concerned, this is our conviction based on the Word of God. 
we don't want to be legalistic about it, but this is our conviction. A tithe is a tithe. The whole tithe goes to the Lord, to His church. Designated giving is over and above the tithe. That is my personal practice. That is the practice of the leadership in CCF. Again, not to be legalistic, but we want to show you the basis of what it is that we believe and what we practice. Again, it's all about perspective and practice. And God was saying, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And then God offers the solution. Whatever it is that these guys were suffering as a result of their dishonoring God in so many ways, including their wealth, God said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this. I'll get to the test me now in just a moment. Notice that the passage says bring. God didn't say give. He said bring. Why is that? Because as we will see later, the tithe really belongs to the Lord. It is holy unto Him. It is set, set apart for Him. Yes, it's true. God owns everything. But the tithe is a representation of what we are to set aside to honor Him and acknowledge that everything belongs to Him. That's why he said, bring it. We're not giving. We are bringing the tithe into the storehouse. So that, and you know what? It's no surprise. God does not need food. God does not need our money. It is a privilege to give to God or to bring to him what belongs to him. Now, in Psalm 50, God said, and I'm not showing it here, if I were hungry, he said, I would not tell you because I own the cattle on a thousand hills. So what it is, is he's really giving us the privilege and the chance to make our perspective right, that indeed he owns all things and we should honor him even in the area, especially in the area of wealth. But again, we see this. Test me now in this. You know, normally, the Bible will say, you shall not bring the Lord your God, what? To the test. That's one of the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus quoted when he was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. He said, it is also written, you shall not bring your, the Lord your God to the test. But for some reason, God says in this verse, test me. Try me. Test me now in this, this matter of bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse. And he says, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Again, it doesn't mean everyone will become a gazillionaire. But for sure, what did we say earlier? One is, we cannot outgive God. Number two, God will take care of us. Brothers, sisters, may I take this moment to just give God the praise for so many of you, we know that the pandemic has been very, very difficult for so many people. And yet, by the grace of God, God used so many of his people, yourselves included, to continue to give, to continue to tithe, even during the pandemic. And that's why God's work and God's workers continue. So I want to just praise God for using you. Let's give him the praise and the glory this morning. Now, earlier I said the tithe really belongs to the Lord. 
Eventually, we see this in the Mosaic law. Leviticus 27:30, for example, says, thus all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, or of the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So if you read the highlighted text as a shortcut, it says, all the tithe is the Lord's. It is holy, meaning it is set apart for him. Now, did the whole idea of tithing, uh, specifically giving in general, begin with the Mosaic law when Moses received the law from God? Actually, no. We see instances of giving a tenth even before the law was given. And that tells us it's, it's really about the heart. It's really about an attitude, that the fact that everything that we have comes from the Lord. For example, way back in Genesis chapter 14, we have this mysterious encounter between Abram and a person called Melchizedek. Okay, so if you're expecting and you're, and you're expecting a baby boy, you may want to name him Abraham. <laughs> anyway. So, Melchizedek is really a mysterious figure. I mean, it's very difficult to explain who he really was. But anyway, the background is this. Um, there were two factions of kings, and they were at war. Abram's nephew, Lot, moved to Sodom, and he was a uh, collateral damage. One, one, I guess, side of the warring kings took him and his family and all of his goods and his people captive. But Abram had a private army. You know, Abram is an amazing guy. He had a private army of, forget what, 300-something. And he rescued, by the grace of God, he rescued Lot, his family, and all the possessions. And when that happened, he had this mysterious encounter with Melchizedek, king of Salem. Salem means peace. And this is where you get the name Jerusalem. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. He blessed him, that means Melchizedek blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Notice how Melchizedek described God, the possessor of heaven and earth. Even here we're reminded that God owns everything. And blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, that's Abram, gave him a tenth of all. Amazing. What does that mean? It means that somehow Abraham recognized Melchizedek as someone of a higher spiritual authority, i.e., a representative of God himself. Interestingly, Melchizedek is both a king and a priest, and that's why many Bible commentators and scholars regard him as a type or a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Some even go as far as saying that he was the pre-incarnate Christ who appeared before Abram. We are not really sure. But the important thing is in his heart, Abram honored God by giving, by extension, God a tenth of all that he had recovered. A few chapters after that, we see an example in the life of Jacob. Now, you and I know a lot about Jacob's background. This guy was, well, for many years of his life, a very crooked guy, a wheeler-dealer type, right? But then he had an encounter with God, and he began to have a relationship with him. And imperfect as it was, he was growing into that relationship. 
And in chapter 28, this is what we hear about Jacob. It says, Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And look at this conclusion. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Now you can see the imperfections in Jacob's faith. You know, it sounds like he's bargaining with God or giving him conditions. But the point is, at the end of the long thing that he said, somehow in his heart, he knew it was the right thing to honor God, not just by personal worship, but even from his wealth. Now, respectfully, there are many of those who believe that tithing specifically no longer applies today. There are those who believe that tithing is just an Old Testament thing, and for the New Testament, including the, the age that we live in today, it no longer applies. Well, uh, that has nothing to do with salvation, so we will not die for that. However, in CCF and in many, many churches all over the world, we believe that tithing still applies. Again, because it's really a matter of perspective first, even before it is a matter of practice. However, let me just give you one of the reasons why we believe it is still relevant today. Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees and the scribes, and he told them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Now, listen carefully to what Jesus said. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. He didn't say, you should have done these things, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, and forget about the other things. They're only rituals. Jesus did not say that. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And when Jesus said that, he brought everything up to a higher level or plane. Remember when he talked about adultery, when he talked about murder, he raised the bar on everything. And that's why he said, these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. And specifically, he had been talking about tithing in this particular uh, passage. Let me just give you a few examples of committed Christ followers in history. And you may recognize a couple of them, at least their names. And these people were, they really believed in honoring God by giving particularly in terms of tithing. Now, let me ask you, how many of you in this room, you eat oatmeal? Oatmeal? How many eat oatmeal? Wow! Praise God! CCF is a healthy church. <laughs> Praise God! you only ate oatmeal once in your life. But anyway, it, it's a good practice. So let me tell you a little bit about this man named Henry Crowell, the founder of Quaker Oats. Henry Crowell started by giving 10% of his income to the Lord. But eventually, as the Lord blessed him, he gave up to 60, 70% of his income. Now, 
Some of you may be thinking, ah, maybe he's, maybe in his mind, this guy just says, basta, I'll just give money. I will not be involved in God's work. I'll just give money and, you know, let the church do the work. That's not true. Because Henry and his wife, Susan, not only gave eventually to over 100 uh, Christian organizations, they themselves witnessed for Jesus. They would share the gospel within their business and their social circles. And many big business people came into a relationship with Christ because of the personal ministry of Henry and Susan Crowell, apart from their generous giving. Now, some of you may be thinking, oh, this tithing thing, like that Quaker Oats guy, that's only for people who have a lot of money. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to assure you that is not true. Let me give you the example of two other people who began their tithing practice because they believed they wanted to honor God at a time when their lives were still very humble and their capacity to give was very limited. Okay, earlier I asked you how many eat oatmeal. Well, now I'll ask you another question. How many of you in this room brush your teeth? Please, show. How many? Okay, because the cameras will be finding people who... So, just joking. Why did I ask you that question? I want to tell you about William Colgate. Ah, William Colgate. What is this guy's story? William Colgate was not a wealthy person, at least not at the start. When he was 16 years old, he wanted, he needed a job. So, simple guy, like, you know, ordinary. And so, he got on a boat on the way to New York because he wanted to find a job making soap. That was the job he wanted. But while he was on the boat, apparently the captain of the boat and him got into a conversation, and the captain learned that he wanted to go to New York, find a job making soap. And the captain told him, young man, remember, 16 years old, young man, you need to remember that all the soap you make comes from God, and you need to honor him. And you start honoring God by giving him a tithe of all that you make. Colgate never forgot that. And so he started to tithe, and he went from 10% to maybe half of his income as the Lord blessed him. John D. Rockefeller Sr. John Rockefeller Sr. started to work when he was a young boy because he needed to support his mother. So he got a job. His first wage was $1.50. He brought his first wage, $1.50, to his mother, whom he was supporting. And the mother looked at the $1.50 and says, Son, you, you need to give the Lord a tenth of what you make. Years later, John Rockefeller Sr. said, if I had not been taught, if I had not learned the why and the how of tithing on my first dollar, I would not have tithed my first million dollars. Again, it's not about, you know, being a gazillionaire. It's not that. It's the perspective. It's the practice. It is the heart. Why? Because giving 
<laughs> Exercise time, everybody. This is our sports camp. Giving honors God. Very good. Bottom line. It's really our heart. Look at what the Apostle Paul said. Now, this is New Testament. Okay? Look at what he said. You don't see the word tithe here. I agree. But again, it's an issue of the heart. Now this I say, by the way, I believe this is our memory verse. Okay? Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Okay, let's stop there. When my wife and I started out in our married life, for many years, um, we struggled. We struggled financially what many people call paycheck to paycheck. We tried our best to save. Yeah, we could set aside some. Uh, but as life's responsibilities piled on, it was much more difficult as time went on. But then we became believers early on in our married life. And we learned the perspective and the practice of tithing. And so we began to tithe faithfully. And eventually, and maybe this is like an elephant in the room, Okay, so I want to let the elephant out. Eventually, my wife and I had to come face to face with this question. Do we tithe on our net income or on our gross income? <gasps> well, folks, I guess we just had to go back to this first. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. I remember one speaker, he said, what kind of blessing do you want, net or gross? That's a nice way of putting it. But again, only by the grace of God, and I say this to honor his name, we began to tithe on our gross income, and we never regretted it. Why? Because, remember, we cannot outgive God, and God will take care of us. But here is the bottom line. Verse 7. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. In Tagalog, napipilitan lang. For God loves a what? A cheerful giver. Please don't be like this guy. Of course, this is not a true story. Somebody asked him, how do you decide how much you will give to God and how much you will keep? And this guy said, oh, that's simple. Every time I earn my money, I put it on the table, and I gather it, and I throw it in the air. What stays up there, God can keep. What comes down, I keep for myself. I'm so glad that's not a true story. At least I hope it's not. But folks, seriously, one of the things that I really appreciated about CCF, and again, this is not about, of course, it's all about God, but I just need to say this, especially because so many of you are uh, joining us physically um, for the first time, meaning to say you, you, you had started attending CCF online, and now you're with us face to face. From the day I joined CCF, here is one thing that I appreciated. It was never the practice of CCF to pass around an offering plate. Now, this is not to criticize other churches or say it's wrong to do that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I appreciated the conviction 
of the leaders in this church, even as early as 36 years ago when I first joined CCF. It was not the practice to pass around an offering plate. You know what I'm talking about, offering plate? But what we will, the only thing that will be said, and if you're watching uh, from the satellites, if ever, it should be the same for you. The only thing that was said is there are tithing boxes. Meromba? Okay. I'm so glad there are. There are tithing boxes located all over the sanctuary. And as the Lord moves your heart, you can bring your tithes and your offerings in the box. And you can see how the Lord has been faithful because we could never outgive God and we, He will take care of us. So again, giving. Wait, 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 wait. Cheerful giver. Now, I know you have your masks on. I cannot see your smile, but God sees your smile. So we have to do this with a, with a smile. Giving honors God. Hindi yung painted smile, the real smile from the heart. Okay, great. The next one is giving honors God. It blesses others. Be careful you don't knock the person beside you. How do we see that happening? In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. See, it says, God supplies us with all things to enjoy. There is nothing wrong with enjoying God's blessing. God is our Father. He finds joy when His children enjoy His blessing in the right way. But that's why you remember the very first verse we read. We need to remember it all comes from Him. And then it says, instruct. By the way, Paul uses the word instruct twice. He doesn't say suggest. He says instruct. It's a very strong word. Instruct them, those who are rich in this present world, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now, some of you, again, may be thinking, ah, I knew it. This whole giving, tithing, all of this stuff, this is only for people who have lots of money. Again, as I told you earlier, giving is a privilege for all of God's people. It is also a spiritual discipline that you and I need to exercise. It is for all of God's people. Of course, God understands the difficult situations that many people may be in. But let me share with you something really inspiring from the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul writes, Now, brethren, to the Corinthians, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Uh, what is the background of what Paul is saying here? Paul is writing to the Corinthians because he is raising money to help the poor churches in Jerusalem. And he's telling the Corinthians, the churches in Macedonia have given to this cause. Now, this is not about tithing per se. This is about giving, helping other believers, okay, other people. And so, so what, what, was, what was happening in Macedonia? This is what Paul describes, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty 
overflowed in their wealth of liberality. Now look at the, the amazing interplay of opposites here, of words. On the one hand, he talks about affliction, then he mentions joy, then he mentions deep poverty, and then he mentions liberality. So what, what do we make of this? Well, first of all, affliction, in all likelihood, he must have been referring to persecution and its consequences. People may have lost their jobs, their businesses may have suffered, they may have been socially marginalized, etc., etc. And yet, Paul saw a joy in the Macedonian believers, despite their deep poverty, they expressed great liberality. Now, so what does this all mean? Okay, let's check. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Cheerful givers. Not much, perhaps, but to the Lord, it really honored him. They gave of their own accord. Look, look at their attitude. Begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but what's the secret? They first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. What does that mean? Well, first of all, these were genuine believers. They really had a true relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know? One manifestation. Again, we said earlier, they knew that they could not outgive God. They knew everything they had, even if it wasn't much, everything belonged to Him. And they yearned for the privilege of being of help to other people, in this case, fellow believers, because they knew God would take care of them. What does this remind me of in present day? <laughs> you might be wondering why I'm showing this picture. Well, what is this? Do you know what this is? Yeah, it's delivery, right? Why am, I, why, does this, why am I reminded of this picture as I reflect on the verses we just read? Folks, a lot of people suffered terribly during this pandemic. But I can never forget, not only in my case, but as I heard many other stories, very similar stories, about how small groups would rally behind a member or members who got sick with COVID. Have you, did you experience that? By the way, how many of you are part of a small group? Part of a small group? Not only on paper, you really participate, you really are active, very good, praise God. You know, you really need to be part of a small group because somehow God uses that small group to be a place where receiving and being a blessing can be best experienced. Anyway, let me go back to what I was saying. In so many small groups, and for so many people who are sick, you know, the small group members sprung into action, and they would ask the member who was sick, uh, you know, what is your Gcash account? Or uh, we're delivering food to your house because we know you can't cook because you're sick. As a matter of fact, there were D groups who organized themselves so well. They, they agreed among each other, okay, Brad, you, for our sick member, you take care of breakfast, you take care of lunch, you take care of dinner, or they say, sagot mo, sagot, what's, what's that in English? You answer for, oh, diba? You answer for Monday, you answer for Tuesday. I mean, this was happening all over the place. 
And so God's people of varying levels of capacity sprung into action because they knew this was probably one of the best and most practical ways they could express the love of Jesus to others. And, of course, in the end, to honor Him as well. Folks, just before we go into the last segment of our time, I want us to hear a testimony. Uh, Ian, will you come join us, please? This is Ian Tanchinko. Let's welcome him. Oh, pare, you, you have at least one fan in the audience. No, no. Oh, Ian. Ian is a campus missionary of Elevate in CCF. And we'd like to hear part of his life story, which will show us what happens when God's people give to honor God, when God's people give to be a blessing to others, what happens to people who are recipients of such a blessing, and how recipients themselves can honor God and be a blessing to others. Okay, Ian, please bless us with your story. Good day, everyone. I'm Ian Tanchinko, a campus missionary from Elevate, Maine. And I am blessed with my lovely wife. Her name is Arian, and three wonderful baby girls, Yana, Kali, and Nala. I gave my life to Jesus when I was in college when a group of missionaries and student leaders reached out to me. Before I had a relationship with Christ, I was living an empty life and had no particular aspirations for myself. Not long after I accepted Christ, I learned about His mission to make disciples and I started to share the gospel to my classmates and other schoolmates on my campus. At this same early stage of my Christian life, I also learned to surrender my finances to the Lord. God moved me to tithe as well as to invest the small amounts I could into His mission by supporting missionaries. By the time that I was about to graduate, I had but one desire. That was to serve the Lord myself as a missionary. Fast forward to 2016, I got married to my lovely wife and she got pregnant with our first baby two months after our wedding. During my wife's fifth month of pregnancy, despite of all the challenges that we were facing that time, it was when God gave both me and my wife the go signal for us to enter into campus ministry as a full-time missionary. At this point in time, we understood what it meant for us to be full-time missionaries. It meant that we would both have to leave our decent-paying jobs and enter into sacrificial work in building the kingdom of God in the campuses. It was a leap of faith for both of us because we were just starting out and didn't have the savings to sustain us in this transition. But although we didn't know how we would survive for the next three months with bills, hospitalizations, and daily expenses, we knew that this is what God wanted us to do. As we obeyed the Lord, we saw His mighty hand work in our midst through bills suddenly getting paid for to unexpected grocery deliveries when we didn't know what to eat the next day. Just like how God provided manna for the Israelites for their daily bread in the desert, we experienced God's faithful provision during this season. It was the moment in our lives when God taught us the value of trusting Him every day for our needs. 
Just like what it says in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 to 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Perhaps in the life of every Elevate missionary, one of the most wonderful aspects of our calling is that we're not paid to do the things that we do. Missionaries in Elevate are all here because we are compelled by the love of Christ to reach out to every student we could possibly could. And we're able to live and do these things through the help of our faithful ministry partners who journey with us through their love gifts and support. During my season of support raising, God also allowed me to witness His work beyond what our minds could perceive. Naturally, when you are looking for ministry partners, you would think about the people with a lot of extra income to spare. But God allowed me to meet ministry partners from all walks of life. I met ministry partners who were well off. I met ministry partners who were earning just enough. And ministry partners who were financially struggling. I was especially blessed to have met this one particular ministry partner that asked for an opportunity to support right after she graduated. When I shared with her the vision, she told me to wait for a bit as she was still looking for a job. True enough, after a few months, she landed a job. And despite only having a starting salary and a family to support, she began to give to our mission work as well. And four years later, up to this day, she is one of our most faithful supporters. In our five years serving here in Elevate, we have learned a lot. But perhaps one of the best lessons we have learned from God in this journey is that we're blessed to be a blessing. One of our prayers before entering into full-time work is that God would continue to enable us to tithe and bless fellow missionaries and pastors. By God's grace and provision, he enabled us to be, a bless, to be a blessing to other Elevate missionaries, a pastor from a small community church in Angono, and a scholar through another organization. Even though life is still uncertain for us every month, God had shown us His faithfulness that He will not let us go hungry and homeless when we surrender every centavo to Him and live in obedience to His will. Again, I'm Ian Tanchinko, an Elevate missionary, and together with my wife, Arian, and our children, we're blessed to be a blessing. Thank you so much, and God bless. Praise God indeed. It is a privilege to give, to honor God, to bless others. Let's uh, take a moment now to pray for Ian, his family, his ministry. Father God, thank you for the wonderful story that you have begun to write and continue to write in the life of Ian. We thank you for his family. We thank you for molding his heart to be one that wants to honor you, wants to be a blessing, and is a faithful steward of the blessings that he receives, that they receive, so that they can, uh, as it were, pay it forward for your glory. We pray that you will prosper him in every way, we pray for his walk, we pray for his marriage, we pray for the future of, his, of their children. We pray that uh, these children will bring great joy to your heart and to the hearts of their parents. 
and we pray that you will just allow him to touch the lives of many, many students, many individuals, even the families of these students, Lord God, with the truth and the power of your gospel. So thank you again for him. We praise you for his life. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks again, Ian. God bless you. Okay, folks, we're down to the home stretch. We should be. <laughs> Giving. Remember to smile. Giving honors God, blesses others, and now reaps rewards. Okay, let's talk about that. I know you've been waiting for this portion. <laughs> no, just joking. Very familiar verse, Luke 6:38. Give it, it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. This is a, a very familiar scene that Jesus was describing, familiar at least to his hearers. But to us, maybe it's not so familiar. But here uh, in this verse, then he finishes by saying, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, you and I may not be so familiar with this uh, image of a person in the market selling grain and shaking the, the grain uh, on a piece of cloth so, so that to make sure there's no air spaces in between. But I, I remember a speaker illustrating it a different way. How many of you are familiar with cheese pimiento? Cheese pimiento, or is that like during my time? No, you still know cheese pimiento up to now? Okay. Somebody described it this way. Some people, when they make cheese pimiento sandwiches, so they take the bread, and then they put only a tiny amount, very thin amount of cheese pimiento in the middle of the bread. You know? It's almost like microscopic. And then they put the bread, and then when they give it to you, it's like you have to bite three or four times before, is there really something in this sandwich, you know? But the speaker said, if God were to make us cheese pimiento sandwich, he will lay it on thick. Lay it on thick. And when you put the other piece of bread there, you can see the cheese pimiento all around coming out from the edges. And, when you, and by the way, it's made with different kinds of cheese. Parmesan cheese, cheddar cheese. And then, when you bite into the sandwich, it starts oozing from the sides and gets into your fingers and you need to lick your... Are you getting hungry? <laughs> Praise God. We cannot outgive him. Give and it will come back to you. Good measure, pressed down shaken together. Now, sometimes God's blessing is not in what he gives, but in what he prevents. In Malachi, to continue, it says, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. About 20 years ago, my wife was first diagnosed with cancer. A lot of you know her story. And as she was going through the journey of treatment, sorry, surgery, treatment, etc., etc., you know, my wife was a very, very strong woman. One of her gifts was the gift of faith. And so she never got depressed. She never cried throughout her cancer journey. But she cried one time. She cried when she was doing a spreadsheet 
projecting the expenses of her treatment. You see, her medicine alone for chemotherapy already cost more than I made in a month. So that's how precarious the situation was. But you know what, to make the long story short, and in the context of this passage we read over here, after all was said and done, treatment, etc., after that, after some time had passed, we, were, we thought, we really thought we would be wiped out financially. But you know what, after the passage of time, we looked at our savings, it's as if nothing happened. It was like intact. I don't know. Only God knows how that happened. Praise God indeed. Now, last. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, God will take care of us. You may have an abundance for every good deed. I remember telling this story years ago. For many years, my wife and I had what we fondly call a feeding program. Actually, what, was, what we called a feeding program was several D groups, different days of the week, who would come to the house and she would, she would feed them very, very good food all the time. And you know me, being very tight when it comes with money, uh, I would ask her sometimes, maybe we should cut down, you know, because she, she would share with me the expenses every month. And there was time I was saying, you know, I really think we need to cut down. And then I began imagining, I began some computations. How much have we spent on this so-called feeding program? Feeding the members of several D groups who would come to the house for dinner. And so I made some back-of-the-napkin computations and I came to the conclusion that if we had not, you know, done the feeding program, so to speak, but instead set the money aside, after the passage of that much time, we could have bought a condominium in cash. But folks, what is a condominium? Compared to the privilege of helping people grow in a relationship with Jesus. Temporal, eternal. Sorry, no contest. Praise God. So folks, again, we review today's message. Oh, ito, last time na. Give it your best. Giving. Are you smiling? Very good. Giving honors God, blesses others, and reaps rewards. Now, according to this verse that we read a while ago, we reap rewards so that we can continue to give. So you see, this is really exercise. After we reap the reward, we give to honor God, bless others, we reap rewards. Then we give to honor God, to bless others, to reap rewards. Are you feeling stronger now? <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. You see, even our physical well-being, it takes care of it. Let me end by sharing with you a, an excerpt from a song or a poem written by this lady named Annie Flint. Annie Flint had a very difficult life. Her body was ravaged and disfigured by 
um, rheumatoid arthritis. So she, she suffered a lot. And of course, when you are physically uh, in such a state, one of the things that you may be concerned of is your provisions. But in one of the many poems and songs that she wrote, this is what she read. The title of this one is, He Giveth More Grace. Let me just read it for you. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his blessing to share. Oh, lean on the arms everlasting availing. The Father both thee and thy load will upbear. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Why should you and I honor God? Why should, you, why should we give as a way of honoring God? Because God is a giving God. How do we know God is a giving God? Because in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that He... Everybody? He gave. His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. The greatest gift of immeasurable eternal value. Earlier at the beginning of the message, we, we read from the Bible, God gives us the power or the ability to produce wealth. But there is one power and one ability that you and I will never have. And that is the power and the ability to save ourselves. The power and the ability to earn our way into heaven. That is one power and ability you and I never had and never will have. And that's why. Because God knew you and I are spiritually bankrupt and in deep moral deficit. That's why he gave and he gave Jesus. If you're here this morning and you've never received from God His Son, Jesus, His gift of eternal life. I urge you, do so now and experience the greatest blessing you can ever have. Let's bow our heads. And if indeed you're here this morning and you have never experienced the giving of God. Know that He gave His Son Jesus for you well before you even existed 2,000 years ago. Will you respond in humility by just saying, Lord, this morning I want to surrender my life. I want to surrender my life to you, Lord Jesus. Because 2,000 years ago, you were given. You were given for me because of a need that I could never fill myself. Out of your gracious and superabounding love, Lord Jesus, you gave your life. You shed your blood. What more appropriate response could I ever have than to give myself to you? And so, Lord Jesus, today, I declare with my mouth, with my heart, you are my Savior, you are my Lord, you are my Master, 
Change me. Take me, Lord Jesus, to be the person you want me to be. Teach me what it means to love you with all of my heart and follow you all of my days, that I may glorify you in all that I think and I say and I do from this day on until the day I meet you. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you for loving me. And it is in your name that I pray all of this. Amen and amen. God bless us, everyone.